If you'd like to turn with me to our text today, our text is from Proverbs 29, verse 5. Proverbs 29, 5. There we read, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. How often speech is used not to convey the truth, but to promote a good feeling in others or simply to win someone over to one's side or one's point of view. This is probably evidenced when ministers, family members, or friends stand at a funeral to eulogize one who has died. Many times from what is said on such an occasion about the many virtues of this departed soul, one would hardly recognize that person to be the same person that you once knew. By the time the funeral is ended, the person has almost become angelic. This is what is condemned in Scripture as flattery. Flattery is also evidenced uh, when one seeks to win someone over to his or her point of view by getting very chummy and close and saying nice yet insincere things about you before getting into the real reason he or she wants to talk with you. How often do we make comments to others that are highly exaggerated, if not outright false, so as to place ourselves in a more beneficial position with others. So we appeal to their vanity, to their pride, to their appearance, to their knowledge, to their wealth, or to their gifts and graces in order to puff them up for our own advantage. Perhaps we want something very badly from them. So we bribe them. We bribe them with flattery rather than with money in order to obtain what we want. Dear ones, flattery is a deceptive bribe by which we secretly extort what we want from others. It happens in business. You can probably in your workplaces just see so much flattery and it's mere bribery, not sincerity. And flattery is always condemned by God in Scripture. It happens many other places. It happens in the church. It happens in our families. And we need to always be aware of flattery. Let's consider this sin and how to overcome it by God's grace as we look at Proverbs 29.5 where we will focus our attention on the following two main points. First, the nature of flattery. And second, the consequences of flattery. First of all, the nature of flattery. The Hebrew word used for flattery here in our text conveys the idea of one who is a quote unquote smooth, smooth talker. 
Oh, how slick is the flatterer. He candy coats what he says and exaggerates the truth so that he might benefit in some way from the response of those that he flatters. Let me give you four different biblical contexts in which the, this word that occurs here in Proverbs 29.5 is used. Other passages in, in, in the Old Testament word is used so that you might better understand the nature of this word. First of all, this word is used of one who butters others up with his smooth words in Psalm 55, verse 21. Consider what David says there. Psalm 55, 21. <clears throat> the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn words, or drawn swords. Here David looks in his own life to Ahithophel, a very trusted counselor and friend, who betrayed him and counseled Absalom how Absalom might destroy David. However, David also prophesies here how Jesus would be betrayed by Judas into the hands of the Jews as well. In both cases, the words and actions of the flatterer were not sincere. Ahithophel and Judas were opportunists looking to benefit from their flattery, but conspiracy and betrayal was in their heart. I ask you, are not flatterers worse enemies than those who openly oppose and persecute their prey? They do so by stealth, under the color of friendship and kindness, and at the right time they reveal their true colors as enemies. A second context in which this word is used is that of a seductive woman who tells the young man whatever he wants to hear so that she might weaken him to gain advantage over him. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, we read... <clears throat> Beginning in the <clears throat> verse 15, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. <clears throat> of course, the same may be said of a seductive man who beguiles and flatters a vulnerable woman as well. How many men and women have been duped by flattering words into a marriage or into an illicit affair for money, for mere lust, for prestige, for political favors, and live to regret to see how they slept, how they slept with an enemy 
rather than with a trusted companion with whom he or she was united by a marital covenant. A third use of this word, flatterer, is found in Psalm 36, verse 2. Psalm 36, verse 2. Again, I'll begin with verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Here it speaks of the wicked man who, because he has no fear of God, flatters not others, but flatters himself that he is a good citizen, deserving of the honor and applause of others, a good Christian, a good person. Flattery in this case is issues forth in sweet-talking oneself with untrue compliments which only leads to self-deception concerning the true condition of one's heart. In Psalm 36, verses 3-4, we read, just following on in that same passage, He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Many people have flattered themselves so long that they even justify their most conspicuous sins with self-flattery. Like, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Or, even though what I did was wrong, I'm still a good person at heart. That's self-flattery. Self-flatterers, dear ones, whistle and sing their own virtues all the way to hell. All the way to hell. For this reason, flattery has been called self-murder by many of our divines from the past. Self-flatterers have never awakened to the holiness of God to see their own sin in light of God's holy law, which judges not only their actions, but their words and thoughts and desires and intentions. A fourth use. A fourth use of this Hebrew word is found in Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 24 Ezekiel 12:24 There it speaks of the ministers of God it says for there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel God is going to away with false prophets who simply flatter people, who simply tell people what they want to hear. 
How many preachers today flatter their congregations? Large congregations. Many people. They flatter their congregations with what the people want to hear. How to be successful in the eyes of the world. How to be wealthy. How to be free of illness. How to get what you want from others. How to feel good about yourself and flatter yourself. How to receive the applause of others. How to obtain miraculous gifts. And the list goes on and on and on. This would appear to be the type of flattery that's in view here in our text in Proverbs 29.5 for the Hebrew word used for man in, in Proverbs 29.5 is not the generic word ordinarily used but a word which carries the added idea of one who is mighty or strong. That is one who is in a place of power or authority. You remember the Apostle Paul foretold in 2 Timothy 4.3 that the time would come when professing Christians would not endure sound doctrine, but after their own love would heed to themselves teachers who would tickle their ears with what they want to hear. This is perhaps the most aggravated form of the sin of flattery. For the flatterer in this case claims to speak on behalf of God himself. How flatterers hate sound doctrine. For those who know what they are to believe about God and man are far less likely to listen to flatterers who stand behind a pulpit. How a minister should examine himself that he not preach according to the lusts of people to gain more members or to have a bigger church or to have a bigger salary, but that he preach to the true spiritual needs of his flock regardless of how unpopular the truth may be. As we consider further, dear ones, the nature of flattery, let us be clear as to what flattery is and what flattery is not. First of all, what flattery is. There's two essential parts to flattery. First of all, flattery is a deception. Flattery is a deception. It is a lie wherein that which is known to be true is covered over by an outright falsehood or by a deliberate exaggeration. Flattery never makes oneself or others look worse than they are, but rather always distorts the truth in the direction of making oneself or others look much better than they really are. How is that so bad? one may ask, to make someone look better than they are. <clears throat> I've simply made someone feel so the one, so one might uh, 
say back, I've simply made someone feel better about himself, not worse. Well, dear ones, it's bad because it's a violation of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We are not intentionally to distort what is true in our use of words. God cannot lie. He can't flatter. And neither should we. The larger catechism lists flattery as one of the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment. Dear ones, flattery is so easy and acceptable uh, to sinners because we always, our nature, we always like to be told that we are more righteous than we are. That simple nature within us feeds on it to be told that we're more righteous than we are more attractive than we are, more intelligent than we are, more athletic than we are, more gifted than we really are, or to be compared to those who are more ignorant, thus making us appear more wise. Be compared to those who are more weak, therefore to make us look more strong. Be compared to those who are very proud, so as to make us look more humble. You see, dear ones, flattery feeds our pride, and by nature we love it to be so. Even if it isn't accurate or true, that simple nature within all of us loves to be flattered. And we must recognize that at the very outset. The corruption within us loves to be flattered. And that is why flattery is such a terrible, terrible enemy to our souls. It pretends to be our friend and it lavishes us with kisses. But secretly, it lies to us not as a friend, but as an enemy in distorting the truth. You know, it's true friends, whether they are married, whether they are members of the same family, or members of the same church, don't lie to one another. They don't flatter one another. They speak the truth in love because they sincerely care for one another. They don't act like Judas in betraying the Lord with a kiss. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, we read, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Another essential part to flattery is that of manipulation. It's not only a deception, but there's manipulation associated with flattery. Flattery is a deliberate attempt to butter someone up for the flatterer's own advantage. He hopes to secretly extort the help, wealth, favor, information, or support of others that he might need at the appropriate time. The flatterer, dear ones, is like Absalom in 2 Samuel 15 
courting the favor of Israel, who pretended to sympathize and agree with all the cases that came to King David. Although he was a prince in Israel, Absalom would not even allow the people to give respectful bow to him, but would take them and insincerely grab them and kiss them instead as if they were his friend and as if they were his equal. The scripture says that Absalom stole the hearts of Israel through his flattering manipulation. How often do we ourselves, dear ones, try to gain the favor of others by manipulating them with some exaggerated report about themselves? We may seek to justify ourselves by saying, they asked me what I thought, and I just told them what they wanted to hear. Dear ones, God hates all strategizing on our parts wherein we use and manipulate people rather than loving people. And we do so in order to seek our own selfish ends. We can perceive that our ends are noble. Perhaps we have exaggerated the truth in order to avoid a verbal battle with someone or in order to smooth over a problem with someone. We've exaggerated the truth or we have flattered. But dear ones, let us not secretly use and manipulate one another by distorting or exaggerating the truth. Let us not do evil that good may come. Let us always speak the truth in love. The truth does not have to be candy-coated. It simply needs to be spoken in a way that the person to whom we're speaking knows we love them and care for them so much that we must give to them the truth. Let us not be associated with those who do evil and speak flatteries in order that what they hope for may come to them. Dear ones, even godly ends do not justify the ungodly means of flattery. Having looked at what flattery is, let us briefly consider what flattery is not. First of all, flattery is not sincere commendation in a job well done. It's not flattering somebody to sincerely commend them and encourage them in a job well done. We should never confuse that which is sincere and honest encouragement that is without exaggeration or distortion. We should never confuse that with flattery. For we are called to commend the saints, as did Paul. If you read Romans 16, verses 1 through 4, you'll find various commendations that Paul sends to specific Christians. He wasn't flattering them. He was stating the truth. And it's good to encourage one another 
in persevering and in work that one does in the service of Christ to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good job. It's good for parents to commend their children in jobs that they do well so that they don't lose heart. It's good for husbands to encourage their wives and for wives to encourage their husbands. Not to flatter them, but to encourage them. It's good for children to encourage their parents as well. We are to esteem our brothers and sisters. In fact, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.13, we're to esteem, esteem them and highly esteem them for their work's sake, for the job that they do. We are called to speak the truth in love for the edification of others, according to Ephesians 4.15. And the Lord, interestingly, in his letters to the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 through 3, begins each of those many letters to those churches with a note of sincere commendation wherever he can commend them sincerely and honestly. He begins with commendation. The only churches that have no commendation and he doesn't flatter them, he doesn't make up something that's not true, are the churches of Sardis and Laodicea. Dear ones, there is nothing at all sacrificed when we begin a rebuke or a correction with sincere words of commendation or thanksgiving where we are able to do so. That doesn't blunt the truth. It doesn't obscure the truth to begin with a sincere commendation or encouragement. This is, a, this is not manipulation to sincerely commend someone. It's not manipulation necessarily if in our hearts we're sincere about what we say. But rather it's an act of love that one be not overcome with grief from the rebuke or concern. It's providing a balance. It's not just attacking them so that the person feels like the only thing you ever remember are the things that I've done wrong. The only time you bring something to my attention is when I'm being corrected. What about, is there any other time that I've done something right? See, that's the impression that's given if we don't balance correction with commendation, true, sincere commendation. You see, commendation, when properly exercised, is a practice that actually brings balance and truth to the context. Whereas, if we only correct, we're really not being accurate. We're being very selective in our memory, very selective in what we say. We're not being balanced, and therefore, we're not really being truthful. For we do not want the person that's being corrected to think that this one concern or this one area of sin necessarily overshadows every other area where there is good work and faithful service. 
being performed. In fact, to avoid the proper commendation, as was just alluded to, may itself distort the truth of the matter by not giving that proper balance to the correction. Another thing that flattery is not, we do not have to go to the opposite extreme of speaking too critically about ourselves or others in order to avoid flattery. You know, so often people, and we're all, I think, capable of doing so, swinging from one extreme to the other. Okay, we're not to flatter, so we jump on the bandwagon of just self-condemnation, heaping condemnation upon ourselves, self-criticism, or criticizing everybody else, so we become just uh, a super expert in criticism. It is so often our tendency just to do that extreme shift from flattery to extreme criticism. But dear ones, we do not need to disparage our gifts and graces before others in order to avoid the sin of flattery. To be overly critical toward oneself or others can be just as easily a distortion of the truth as is flattery. Although we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, we are to think so as to have sound judgment about the gifts God has granted to us according to Romans 12.3. Certainly that does not imply that we are uh, to uh, uh, sound the horn in announcing to all uh, others our gifts, our strengths, our abilities, but it does imply that we are not to go to the opposite extreme of demeaning our gifts that God has given to us either. I might suggest that people who are overly critical of themselves, especially in front of others, may be simply exercising a false humility where we think others will rather heap flattery upon us for our gifts and graces. If we don't truly recognize, dear ones, and acknowledge the gifts and graces that God has freely bestowed upon us, I ask you, how can we possibly employ what God has freely given to us for a service? if we don't even recognize them, if we don't acknowledge them in a sincere and honest and objective way to say, yes, God has gifted me and graced me in this area. That's nothing to boast about because it's a gift from God. Somebody gives you a million dollars, are you to boast that, you know, look, I've got this million dollars. If it was a free gift that was given to you. Well, we don't boast have any reason to boast about our gifts or abilities, but we don't have any reason to demean them, to criticize them, to belittle them, or to minimize them either. How are we expressing, in fact, our thanks and gratitude to God for the gifts that he has given to us if we're speaking evil of them, criticizing them and demeaning them, belittling them, if we're overly harsh in our criticism of ourselves or others? 
Thirdly, flattery is not, a third thing that flattery is not, we do not have to become so brutally honest with people in order to avoid the sin of flattery. For example, your wife asks you uh, uh, your opinion about a dress that she is wearing. And you really don't care for the dress that she's wearing. You really don't think that it looks real good. Well, you don't have to go into such vivid detail so as to uh, impress upon her that this dress makes you look fat. This dress makes you look ugly. You don't have to be brutally honest uh, in, in that sense to avoid flattery. Uh, please understand, dear ones, even when dealing with sin, we do not necessarily have to beat ourselves or others up to a bloody pulp so that we are killing a dead horse by the words and sentiments that we use. We are not the law of God, nor are we the Spirit of God. It is the work of the Spirit to convict the Christian of sin or the sinner of sin and to bring him to the place where he sincerely acknowledges the heinousness of his sin and sorrows over his sin and looks to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of his sin and endeavors new obedience. Our job, our job individually, is simply to speak the truth in love. That's our job. One who has already been deeply convicted of his sin will likely be driven to utter despair by our brutal approach to honesty and to the truth. When this is the case, I ask, where is the love we are to have for our brother or neighbor when we are so brutally honest? Instead of being a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend that's born for adversity, we join hands with the devil and become accusers of our brethren. Yes, there will be times due to the pride in ourselves or due to the pride in others that we will need to confront obstinacy in sin or error with a more direct and in a more tough manner. Granted, that may be necessary certain times with, with ourselves or with others. We have to be just much more direct and what we say. But dear ones, let us never be brutally honest, brutally honest, cruelly honest, even if we must be direct and tough. Let us always be lovingly honest when we must be direct and tough so that the person to whom we are speaking knows that the blows, as it were, that have been given and the wounds that have been received are received, are given in love and should be received in love because we love so much and we care so much. Not because we simply want to be cruel not simply because we want to get even with them or we're angry with them. The last main point, the consequences of flattery. First, the nature of flattery, now the consequences of flattery. 
very briefly. Our text states that a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Spreads a net for his feet. In other words, a flatterer sets a trap for his neighbor by his scheming, plotting, and manipulating, hoping to use for his own advantage the flattery he has set before him like a net that is set as a trap for an animal. There will come a time when the flatterer will ask his favor or will seek the blind loyalty of those upon whom he has cast his net. There will come a time. Dear ones, if we allow ourselves to be flattered by others, not sincerely thanked for a favor extended, nor earnestly commended for a job well done, but we allow ourselves to be flattered, embarrassingly flattered, in front of others, we will find that such kisses from disguised friends will soon become daggers from open enemies. When should you suspect, question is asked, when should you suspect that you are being flattered? Let me give you, just very briefly, answer to that question. When should you suspect that you are being flattered? First of all, when what is said to you or about you is an exaggeration of the truth or perhaps even an outright falsehood, you know you're being flattered. Second, when there is a track record of not being honest with you, your suspicions go up that somebody hasn't really been honest with you, hasn't been truthful with you. And that's another way that you can suspect that somebody is flattering you. They just haven't been upfront. Thirdly, when there is a favor tied to the compliment. When there's a favor tied, do me this favor because you're such a nice guy or you're such a good friend. Do me this favor. Fourthly, you can suspect it as being flattery when what is said is just inappropriate. For example, flirting with another man's wife or another woman's husband by means of flattering words. It's just inappropriate. It's, it's just something that ought not to happen. Or when inappropriate emotion flows with candy-coated words, you may suspect that someone is flattering you. Or one other way to suspect that flattery is being used is when superlatives are joined one to another, the best the greatest, the most beautiful, etc., etc. That's generally an indication of flattery. When you find those kinds of superlatives 
the best, the greatest, the most, whatever. Well, what should you do when you believe you're being flattered? Well, honestly tell the flatterer that what has been said about you is either an exaggeration of the truth or not the truth at all. Be honest. That's not true of me. That will bring the flattering usually to an end. If you're simply just honest with the flatterer. And if it continues to happen, be honest with the person and speak the truth in love, telling them that you would like the flattery to stop. Call it for what it is. Stop flattering me. Because it isn't the truth and it only feeds my pride and I don't need any help with my pride. And if you really love me, you won't feed my pride. If you really care for me, you won't do that. A flatterer not only spreads a net for his neighbor's feet, but, dear ones, sadly to say, a flatterer also spreads a net for his own feet. He sets a trap for himself. For he lives a life of hypocrisy and lies, deceiving and being deceived. A flatterer murders strong language, but a flatterer murders his own soul, for he will not accept the truth of God about the seriousness of his sin and his desperate need of Christ, but continues to tell a lie so often that he comes to believe a lie and to live a lie. Thomas Brooks has written in a book entitled The Necessity, Excellency, Rarity, and Beauty of Holiness. These words... Flatterers are devouring caterpillars. Flatterers' tongues do more mischief than persecutors' swords. For their swords can but destroy the bodies of men, but flatterers' tongues destroy the souls of men. Flatterers are the greatest soul cheaters and soul undoers in the world. In conclusion, dear ones, consider the end of some of the flatterers and those who believed those flatterers in Scripture. The princes of King Darius in Daniel chapter 6 flattered the king by saying, O king, we want to set aside a particular day or a particular period of time in which no one will bring their requests, their petitions, and their prayers to any other god but only to you. They were manipulating the king so as to catch Daniel, whom they knew would be faithful in continuing to pray to the one true living God. They flattered the king. What was the end of those who flattered the king? Daniel was rescued. They were thrown into the lion's den. Or consider the flattering prophets of Ahab. When Ahab was with King Jehoshaphat, considering to go to war against Syria, 
and the false prophets stood before Ahab and said, Go ahead, King Ahab. Go, you'll be successful. You'll come back safely from war. You will win this battle. And Jehoshaphat said to King Ahab, Isn't there any other prophet that you have than these, basically these flatterers who tell you what you want to hear? And he says, Well, yeah, there is this, this prophet by the name of Micaiah. And uh, uh, he is a but I don't like him because he never speaks any good of me. He never tells me what I want to hear. And Jehoshaphat says, bring him in. I want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> and so Micaiah tells the truth that he will not return. And sure enough, because Ahab loved to be flattered, God says, the word of God says, that that arrow, he disguised himself as an ordinary soldier, took off his royal robes, and an arrow was shot, and it found its place between a spot in his armor. And he died. One who loved flattery. And then there's King Herod in Acts 12, verses 22 through 23, who loved flattery. Various emissaries, ambassadors from other parts of his kingdom or another kingdom came and they heaped all types of glowing, flattering words upon King Herod, which he received. And it says there in that particular passage, because he received the flattering words and did not give God the glory, God smote him immediately and he was consumed from within by worms. Dear ones, let us not be like the Pharisees who at times merely flattered Christ with hypocritical words which they did not believe. Let us, dear ones, rather cast ourselves upon Christ in sincerity for flattery must always, flattery must always flee in the light that comes from the truth. Speaking the truth in love Flattery cannot stand in the presence alongside with speaking the truth in love. The surest way to destroy flattery is to daily reflect upon the corruption of our own natures, how undeserving we are of the least blessing from Christ. To reflect upon that our sin deserves hell and sin and damnation. That we do not and are not worthy in the least to be to stand in the presence of God, to be justified and declared righteous by God, to be given the holy inheritance of heaven. Be called a child of God to reflect upon Christ's death and why he suffered. He suffered for sinners, undeserving sinners, the chief of sinners. To be humbled before God 
and in our prayers before him to speak ever so honestly about our desperate need for the Lord. To be ever so honest before God, not to hide in our motives, our intentions to pray that God reveals to us what our true motives and intentions are so that we are not deceiving ourselves nor deceiving others. And when that is the case, when we're honest before God, we will be honest before others. And when we're not honest before God, we will not be honest before others. We will flatter others and we will flatter ourselves. God have mercy upon us all. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pour contempt upon our flattery. Both the flattery flattery we give to others and the flattery we receive because we like to hear it. We pray, Father, that we would be a people of integrity and honesty, that we would not deceive nor manipulate nor use people by means of flattery and telling them what they want to hear so as to gain an advantage or a favor with them. We pray, our Father, that Thou would would grant to us Thy forgiveness where we have, each and every one of us, has flattered or loved flattery. That Thou, O God, would pardon us of this sin, this soul-destroying sin, the sin that if it continues, O Lord, will lead us from Christ and destroy our relationships with one another. For when people learn that we are mere flatterers and see us, Lord, as not true friends, but those who cloak themselves merely as friends. Oh God, the realization of that brings separation, isolation, and indignation. We pray, Father, keep us, prevent us, restrain us, we pray, by Thy grace, from this sin of flattery. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. 
our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.